If you like action spy thrillers, you're going to love today's guest. He's been number one on the New York Times bestsellers list multiple times. He's written 21 books. Brad Thor is our guest today. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast. And here's your host, Josh Atcher. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. Listen, this is our last interview of season five and i'm pretty excited about it one because this is an awesome interview with an amazing top-notch author that you're gonna love but also because season five was a big grand experiment to see if we took this seriously and we worked hard and we tried something new if we would reach a bigger audience and i am so blessed to know and see that the work we're doing here at Manlyhood is resonating with you. And so what that means is that when we come back for season six, we're going to blow your mind. <laughs> You're going to get more of the same. And we're going to have authors and speakers and coaches and psychologists and all kinds of people that have amazing things to share with you. So stay tuned for season six. It's coming soon. We've got all kinds of things in the works so that when we kick off the season, it's going to be better than ever. And I'm a little bit sad to see season five come to an end, but you know what? I've been able to talk to some amazing guests. Uh, we've talked with judge Joe Brown with Larry Hagner with Kip Sorensen with Isaac Greeley, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Foundation number one world-ranked fighter. And yeah, it's been pretty cool to be able to talk to all kinds of people about all kinds of things and really get to the heart of what it means to be a better man. And I'm excited about what's coming. So today's interview is going to be something special. Brad is going to talk about his new book, Rising Tiger. Brad Thor, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. And, uh, yeah, I've I've been impressed with your work, so this is going to be something pretty special today, I think. Well, I'm glad to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you've got a new book coming out. Let's let's talk about that right away. That's kind of an yeah. exciting. Yeah, no, it's it's terrific. Uh, my new thriller is called Rising Tiger, and it comes out Tuesday, July fifth. And uh, I tell my uh, I tell people that my books are like the James Bond movies. If you've never seen a James Bond movie before, you don't have to go back to the beginning. You can go to the theater and see the most current Bond movie and have a great white knuckle thrill ride. So I have done uh, written 22 books overall, 21 books featuring my protagonist, Scott Harvath. Uh, but like I said, you don't miss anything by starting with Rising Tiger. If you want to go back and start at the beginning with the Lions of Lucerne, that's totally cool. I write my books so that they're evergreen. They stand the test of time. You can pick up one of my earlier books and it's still just as relevant, topical and exciting today as it was back when it was first published. Definitely enjoy, uh, his character. And I figure we can talk about that in a second, but kind of before we get any further, I just wanted to mention this, um, you actually, we've actually had a really cool interaction before in the past, and it may have been a mistake on your part. 
Uh, <laughs> but um, I'm not sure. But years ago, we started this website uh, nine years ago. And so I think shortly after that first year, uh, the website was just a blog at that point, And it was pretty disorganized and it hadn't even posted a whole lot yet. And um, I think you may have done like an interview somewhere or something. And someone asked you what your favorite website was. And you said, manlyhood.com. <laughs> oh, wow. How about that? <laughs> so I actually started getting this random traffic coming to the website. And I think you may have met Art of Manliness or one of the other websites out there because there weren't a oh, lot at that time. But yeah, there, there was there was a handful of them out there. But listen, everything happens for a reason. So if that inured to your benefit <laughs> and got you a little spike in traffic, congratulations. I'm yeah. Glad to have yeah. played a small part. You, listen, yeah. uh, you've got a fabulous, fabulous website. So it's, it's just me thinking ahead of the curve, looking over the horizon. I knew the potential <laughs> that your site had, Josh. So I, I could tell when it happened that I'm like, well, I don't know if he's really paying attention to what I'm doing right now, but hey, let's roll with it and make it seem as though he was. So I kind of started taking it seriously after that. So Good. yeah, you, you gave, me a, gave me a push in the right direction. So thank you for that. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. I knew what I was doing. I yeah. saw the potential in you, Josh. Sometimes all, all we need is a little push from someone else who cares about us. I am uh, enamored with this character of Scott Harvath. I think that uh, he is definitely... Uh, uh, it's it's a classic archetype now, kind of culturally. You know the the uh, he's a hero. Tell me more about about what kind of got into your your brain when you started developing this guy. Well, so my dad is a no longer active Marine. He was in the Marine Corps. He went to college on the GI Bill. My mom was a flight attendant for TWA back in the glamour days, the '60s of air travel, and uh, we were raised a certain way. And one of the things, uh, one of the many things that were discussed in our house was civic responsibility. There is no American dream without those willing to protect it. So we were mm -hmm. raised with a very healthy appreciation for those who commit themselves to service, whether they, whether that be in the military, law enforcement, uh, civil service. Uh, our society, our republic doesn't work without people who are willing to put in the time and commit themselves to it. And that includes us as citizens as well. Uh, so when I was creating the Scott Harbath character, um, I really, I, I thought about my version of the American dream, what it is for me. And then I thought about buddies of mine who constantly were away from their families because they were deployed overseas. Uh, friends of mine who are cops that had to work on Christmas day and things like that. And I, I started thinking, what does the American dream look like for them since they're on the front lines, whether it be at home or abroad of protecting the American dream for the rest of us. You and I are doing this podcast right now. The reason I'm able to write my books, you're able to do your podcast is because other men and women have uh, decided that today they're going to be standing outside of our immediate sphere protecting us. So I wanted to create a character who was willing to was willing to give up what we might have as our typical idea of the American dream, the white picket fence, the spouse, the kids, the dog. And what does that mean? And how could I follow this person who loves his job, by the way? He loves what he does. He doesn't do it because, okay, nobody else wants it and I better step up. He actually enjoys what he does for a living. And over the course of the books, it's been very interesting. Uh, I've had people say that Harvath is like a younger, cooler, hipper James Bond. I've had them call him the ultimate Boy Scout because he always does the right thing. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that he's naive, but in, in my world that I've created, 
we have a lot of enemies in uh, around the globe that won't play by a rule book. And so I love this idea of our country letting loose a couple of operatives here and there that don't have to play by the rules either. But if you're going to say to somebody, you can go out and do whatever it is necessary to stop the bad guys. Well, what kind of character does that person have to have? Because you can't send a sadist out there who's empowered to break every rule, who's going to go out and break the rules just for the, the crazy kind of thrill of breaking the rules. You need someone who, if you say, okay, listen, no rules, you know what the rules are, but you're allowed to break them. You want a person doing that who's got, who's well-grounded, has a moral compass, and isn't going to do it unless it's absolutely necessary. So that's been the fun for me because I, I, we all want to believe that the these men and women are out there that uh, if push comes to shove and they have to break a few eggs, they're going to break them and they're not going to think twice about it. They're going to do what they've got to do to accomplish the mission and keep the rest of us safe. So looping back around to my parents, Harvath is kind of a, a big stew pot uh, of all these things that I was told and I was taught and were modeled for me growing up in the Midwest with my Marine Corps dad and my flight attendant mom, just what's important and, uh, you know, a, a sense of uh, uh, duty, honor, patriotism, uh, healthy respect for the rule of law and playing by the rules, but also understanding that um, there is uh, there is evil in the world. And that's something you've got to, you can't, just shut your eyes real tight and try to pretend it's not there. It's there. And uh, at some point, all of us are unfortunately going to have to confront evil in, in one sense or another. So uh, it's just it's fun to create this whole world and create a character who can maintain his integrity uh, in the face of not only dealing with terrible, terrible bad guys around the world, but also craven politicians, all that kind of workplace. Uh, I'm not going to call it trauma, but drama, all that workplace drama right. that a lot of us have to deal with uh, in our everyday lives. Yeah, well, it's there's a nice vein established uh, for that kind of character, because, you know, you think of um, uh the TV show 24 and um, you know, I was got, thinking about that when I was talking to you, cause I, yeah. you know, we would love that Jack Bauer would break some guy's finger. Right. And we're hoping yeah. there's a lot of Jack Bauer's yeah. out there. Exactly. Yeah. Great touchstone. But, but, but Jack, Jack Bauer is moral to the core. You know, he's yeah. only doing it because that's what is required to protect and to save. So um, yeah, that's, that I think is our, is our end goal. So, you know, you grew up in the Midwest, so if you go a little further east, then you have this green patch of Pennsylvania. We're in the middle of nowhere, you know, and um, it's this is where all of the Vietnam veterans who did questionable things like that moved <laughs> so they could be off the radar, off the grid. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad was one of those, and he um, would, would frequently kind of talk to me about places that he was that he wasn't supposed to be things that he knew that he couldn't tell me, you know, that top security clearance from air force and being in, in uh, cryptography, installing communication systems, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, but with that came this really healthful or healthy, I think maybe it's not healthy. I don't know, but I have this healthy uh, distrust of government, you know, and so I'm always torn because I see, and I know that the reason I'm, I'm kind of setting this all up is because I know that as you've been working on this book, you have been interfacing with people who in real life are like the characters you write about. And so I've kind of, part of me always wonders like, you know, especially, you know, as you can, you, you hear stories and, and things that 
our intelligence community or our black ops community are doing that maybe go beyond that framework of what we might think would be moral. <laughs> and, and, and I'm always kind of torn, like, okay, are these the good guys or are they the bad guys? You know? And um, so, you know, there is, and, and I think it just comes from that distrust of, of the federal government in general that, you know, people around here that I grew up around kind of all kind of espouse. It's like they all will, you know, we will all display our American flags proudly. We will all, you know, it, regardless of party, right? But we all have that, those questions sometimes, like, at least the good guys are the bad guys. <laughs> so tell me, you know, you, you know these guys, right? I mean, you're not just uh, a guy that randomly writes fiction. Like, you're actually talking to these guys. The, the men and women that I, I deal with are some of the most honorable people I've ever met in my life. Uh, they, make, they could be making a lot more money doing a lot of other things, uh, and they get sent to do some of this nation's most dangerous business. So uh, I have yet, and I got to, Josh, I have yet to meet somebody where I wouldn't leave my kids alone with them. You know what I mean? Or I wouldn't leave, you know, 10 grand on the table and walk out and, uh, It'd still be there when I got back. Uh, there, listen, there are some terrible politicians, particularly right now. Uh, so I think you have to kind of separate things out. People who have to get reelected are more of a problem than people who devote their life in service to the country, who don't depend on voters. That, that's my opinion, because particularly now with how riven we are with culture war garbage, where uh, both sides try to gin up their bases to come out and vote. And uh, I think social media has been one of the worst things for the country because it's, it's all about pissing off your constituents. So they'll send you those, that $5, that $10, whatever it is. Uh, they get more people to the polls when they get them angry. People show up when they have something to vote against uh, in greater numbers than they have something to vote for. So um, it's the people that depend on votes in the next election that I think are the shallowest part of the integrity pool. Uh, but as you get further along, like Scott Harvath, the name Harvath is actually comes from a lifelong civil servant uh, who I know who was in the army, uh, the JAG Corps, and then went to the Department of Justice uh, and was instrumental in processing FISA warrants against Al Qaeda and other terrorists. Uh, for years. And I mean, this is this is somebody who is a brilliant, brilliant uh, attorney who could be working in some white shoe law firm, but believes deeply in the country and the the rule of law and the need to 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 safeguard the country. And this person has a small role to play in it by uh, going through the legal channels to make sure we keep track of potential threats to the country. So uh, I would not be friends with or spend any time with someone. I've, I've actually, I've, I've cut people loose if I found them in that world that I don't like, but it, it happens very, very rarely. I have to tell you, the government is full of really good people who believe in the mission and believe in the country. Uh, it's the it's the politicians, whether it's you know politicians knowing that we should have gotten out of Vietnam much earlier than we did, but prolonging it for electoral reasons. There, there. Listen, it, our history is is just rife with with stories about bad politicians. There's no there's no question. Uh, yeah. We've we've kind of been sold a fairy tale that. You know, I joke around with some friends of mine. I, I grew up in Chicago, so I've got some friends who are a little bit different politically than I am, but they're still dear, sweet people. I don't let politics get in the way of, of my relationships, my art, anything like that. And I remember chuckling because I had lived in Utah for uh, 
about eight years and uh, got to know a lot of people in the Mormon community. I remember when Mitt Romney was was running and I had people uh, saying to me, oh my gosh, this, that, the other thing. And I said, listen, you have no idea what a good, solid, honest, decent human being Mitt Romney is. And the crazy stuff people were saying about Mitt Romney. And I said, okay, I said, this is really a bad precursor of things to come where you're looking for reasons to attack probably one of the last decent human beings uh, in politics. So I'm not, I'm not anti-government. I am, I'm highly skeptical of elected politicians. So my thing is trust but verify. And uh, you shake a politician's hand, always look at yours and make sure you got all five fingers when you get it back. I got you. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's a fair assessment. So, you know, I, I definitely, and, and there will probably be parts of me that are always skeptical. Uh, of, you know, people who are in bureaucratic positions too, maybe, you know, who are in positions of service where, where their, uh, their goals don't necessarily align with the American values that we should all share. But, you know, um, but I, I tend to see in people who have served, who have military service and who are serving in that place, that same kind of thing as well. So what's it like, uh, when you're when you're talking with these guys, how do you how do you get them to share enough details with you, enough stories with you, where they're not <laughs> feeling like they're jeopardizing things? How does that work? Well, first of all, they they know where the line is and what they can talk about, and what they can't talk about. So my joke is, I buy a lot of pitchers of beer, a lot of steak dinners, and I sit down and keep my mouth shut, and I listen to them tell me the stories they want to tell me. And I, you know, I've had Josh situations where I've worked with folks, and then I finished the manuscript and I let them read it, and I've had them say, "Oh boy, you know, you and I discussed A, and we discussed point C." And B needs to come out. And I said, but we didn't even talk about B. And they would look at me and say, B needs to come out of the book. I'm like, so I figured it out. I mean, I'm right. And they're like, listen, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying B cannot be in the book. And of course, I'll take it out. Uh, I had Mm -hmm. one situation on a book several years ago where one of my sources said, you got to change that. And he kept I sent it to him and change it. Nope, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And I did like 10 revisions on it. And he finally said, okay, now it's good. I said, okay, so I'm not revealing anything. He goes, no, 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 that's not my concern. At this point, the way it's written, it won't trace back to me is what the, what my source said. So that was, that made me laugh that he just wanted to make sure it was scrubbed enough that nobody be able to pick him as the person who discussed this thing with me. So, but listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we're all stewards of this Republic. We don't own it. You and I, this, your generation, my generation, we don't own the United States. We are merely stewards and it's our responsibility to work hard, to hand down a freer, more secure, more successful, more prosperous nation than was given to us. So it's incumbent upon us to do the best we can. So as an author, I like to explore all these big geopolitical issues in my books. First and foremost, I want you to have a great thrill ride with the Brad Thor novel. That's why my chapters are really short, crisp, cinematic. I want you to be whipping through them and just having a great, fun, easy read. But if you close one of my books smarter about America's role in the world or a particular geopolitical issue that uh, is coming down the road or we're currently dealing with, if if you do that, so if I give you the thrill ride, I've done my job as an author. 
if you walk away from one of my novels smarter or with some questions about this particular issue, I think then I've done my job as an American. That for me is the icing on top of the cake. If you want it as a reader, it's in there. And you can you can either skip across the top of the waves and just have this fun white knuckle thrill ride, or you can dive a little bit deeper because there is that stuff there. So I always come at this first, you know, I'm in the business of, of entertaining people, you know, toes in the sand, book in the hand, that's my number one job. But I do like reaching into kind of the dark corners of Washington or our diplomatic core and how it operates around the world and how it interfaces with other governments, that kind of stuff. And to kind of peel, you know, peel back the curtain a little bit and let you see inside those worlds, as well as taking you up to kind of the edge of the property line and peer over into the world of the intelligence community or special operations, that stuff's, that stuff's fun. So that's all the extra bonus stuff that you get in one of my thrillers. I haven't finished it yet, but reading through the, uh, the, the new book, and it's uh, it's set in India, which is something that, you know, India has been a rising power for some time, and mm-hmm. we don't hear much about them. You know, we we almost kind of think of them in that, oh, they're in the third world, and they're an impoverished nation, but there's some real stuff happening there. So when you're kind of reading and set in this, you see the culture, you see what's happening there, but it's, okay, there's some potential to be thinking through here. I, I, I found it pretty interesting. So it, it's funny that as you and I are recording this podcast today is uh, the two-year anniversary of the opening scene that I used for my new thriller, for Rising Tiger. Uh, so two years ago today, a group of Indian soldiers was camped uh, uh, in the border region between India and China. And these Chinese soldiers came down through the mountains into this this high uh, this high mountain pass. And there's one rule. There's kind of a gentleman's agreement between China and India that no firearms are allowed in this area because there's been skirmishes and they don't want firearms there because they don't want this thing to escalate into war if there's a clash. Well, the Chinese came pouring across the border over the Himalayas into India with all of these homemade weapons iron bars studded with spikes, baseball bats wrapped with barbed wire, and they attacked the Indians, the Indian troops that were there. And it was a horrific medieval-style six-hour hand-to-hand combat melee that there was such uh, destruction of people's faces and bodies that they needed DNA testing to be able to tell who was who among the dead. It was absolutely horrific. And that happened two years ago today. And in real life, my, this is in fiction, real life, right? No, this isn't mm. fiction. This is, this was in the Galwan Valley, uh, in the Western Himalayas, uh, at, at what's called the line of actual control, which is the border region between, uh, Uh, India and China. And I was fascinated by this. And this was really where the germ of the idea for Rising Tiger came from. So we right now we see Russia is in Ukraine because Ukraine is a threat to Russia. The democracy that's been growing in Ukraine, uh, there's nothing as flammable or as contagious as democracy. All it needs is a little bit of oxygen, a little bit of breeze, and it goes right over the border into surrounding countries. And that's a big reason why Putin went into Ukraine, because he didn't like what was happening there. It's bad for him at home if all his Russian citizens are watching what's going on in Ukraine. Well, India serves the same uh, the same purpose sort of for China. Uh, United, the United States is the world's oldest democracy. India is the world's largest democracy. So China really wants to put India under its thumb. It's 
it's pumped billions of dollars into Pakistan, trying to cozy up to Pakistan. It's been doing stuff in Bhutan. So for me as a thriller writer, with all of the international espionage that's happening in India and everything, I said, wow, I looked around and nobody had set a spy thriller there. It, none of my contemporaries, it's, it's a very cool, fresh place to do it. And I thought, okay, what would be the big geopolitical set piece? And I thought, what if the United States was trying to establish an Asian version of NATO? We have a military alliance called the Quad, which is India, the US, Japan, and Australia. But what if we were trying to build out a real kind of NATO thing with India at the core? The Chinese would go nuts. They would hate it. They would not want it. They would do whatever they, they could to stop it. And I thought, okay, this is really fertile ground to do this. And what if I use that real life attack in the Himalayas as a jumping off point? Uh, and that's what I did with Rising Tiger. So it's this really cool, uh, you know, there's shoot 'em ups and all this kind of stuff and all this intrigue playing out against a very real potential uh, diplomatic, a tense diplomatic situation with the US, India, and China. I imagine when you are exploring some of these things, you're probably taking some people off, right? I mean, you you're kind of outright calling out real world scenarios in your novelizations and you have connections with actual people who are doing some of the actual work. Do you ever find yourself kind of blacklisted anywhere or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I've had a, I've had a book banned in a middle Eastern country cause they didn't like the subject matter. Um, I, I have had friends in the diplomatic corps that have said, yeah, here's a couple of places you do not ever want to set foot in. And I'm like, seriously? And they said, listen, nobody's going to ever come after you uh, on a state level, uh, like the Russians, for instance. I had some travel planned and some some dear friends of mine at the State Department were like, yeah, I wouldn't do it. And I'm like, seriously? And they're like, yeah, it'd be a big deal for them if they could discredit you. So if drugs were found in your luggage or whatever, even if they're not yours, if they could discredit you in kind of um, either A, throw you, in, throw you in jail for a little bit just to shake you up, that's one thing. But if they could in the press make you out to be, uh, you know, tarnish your brand so that your books would sell less, people wouldn't want to read your books, they would think, you know, whatever, this guy's a, he's into drugs or whatever, that would serve their purposes. That would be a good way to either shut you up or turn the volume way down on your voice. Uh, and so they just said, you know, I, I wouldn't go to X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's plenty of countries in the world, plenty of places to go. I won't go to X, Y, or Z. Um, so that so those suggestions have been made to me that I, I've got a big enough voice and I poke the uh, different uh, people and places with a stick. So you have to you have to think about that stuff. Um, I, I, but nothing you know nothing that I got to worry about living in Nashville, Tennessee. I think I'm okay That's here. Yeah. You don't have any assassins coming for you in Nashville. Uh, it's, it's, you know, if they come after me, it's going to, they're going to be worth their salt if they can get me. Uh, I, I wouldn't make it easy for them, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I don't think a thriller, an American thriller author rates that kind of risk or, uh, investment <laughs> of, uh, time and resources. So yeah, I sleep, I sleep pretty soundly with my three Malinois <laughs> and my Benelli, uh, next to the bed. Uh, but that's just that's just life in general these days. So, so what's this uh, deal that you've got? It's probably not a deal, but it, the Red Cell, I think, is what it's called yeah. with, with Homeland Security. What's this all about? So, uh, in the aftermath of nine eleven, uh, when the Department of Homeland Security was being created, the government realized that 
what had taken place on 9-11 had been able to take place because of a failure of imagination on our part as the United States. We were not thinking creatively enough. So the federal government, God bless them, uh, put together what I think is one of the most forward-thinking and aggressive federal programs I've ever heard of, and that was the analytic red cell unit. And the idea was to bring creative thinkers from outside Washington, so from outside the Pentagon, outside the intelligence community, uh, outside law enforcement, uh, to help come up with scenarios of where we might get hit next, uh, be that at home or abroad, where Americans might not be safe, what targets might be interesting for terrorist organizations, so on and so forth. Uh, so it was really an amazing thing for the government to say, we need fresh eyes. We need different ways of looking in, uh, at things and thinking of things. So that's, uh, uh, there were people like me in there, Brad Meltzer, Michael Bay, the Transformers, and Benghazi director, uh, and those kinds of folks in there coming up with scenarios. With that kind of analytical thinking and bringing those creative minds in and brainstorming those scenarios. Did you guys uh, come up with anything that has been able to help stop things? I mean, I know you probably can't tell me these things you talked about because. Yeah. So my joke is, is that the red cell unit is the Las Vegas of government programs. What happens in the red cell stays in the red cell. Um, I can, I can, there's two things I can say. Number one, I came up with an attack scenario that actually occurred somewhere in the world. And it was all over the news. And so I contacted my people at the Red Cell and I said, hey, it's all over the news. You know, uh, I'm getting invited to come on TV to talk about it and to kind of analyze what happened. Can I say that we actually discussed this in the Red Cell? And they said, no, we don't. Even if an attack has happened, we don't talk about those at all. So I, I couldn't say what the scenario was that we we developed. Uh only one scenario has ever been published by the Red Cell because they wanted Americans to know the kind of stuff that they were doing in there. And the one scenario that's been published is they were looking at how terrorists might take advantage of an approaching hurricane to uh, potentially bomb uh, shelters where people were you know, coming in to seek shelter from the hurricane. And then a lot of times heavy equipment – School buses, uh, ambulances, fire trucks, bulldozers will get moved out of the path of the hurricane and placed in a marshalling yard somewhere. And that could be like a big Walmart parking lot that's, you know, 50 miles away or whatever it is. And how might terrorists also sabotage that equipment? So that's the only thing that's been publicized out of the red cell that, that we're allowed to talk about. I got you. But the concept is still pretty cool to be able to apply well let's let's frame this positively to be able to apply your creativity and your problem solving skills to help address potential problems rather than hey these guys are really sick i wonder if they've got any bad ideas <laughs> and that's and, and that's really what it is uh you know i told you that my dad uh my dad is a no longer active marine and i was incredibly honored to have my country say hey we could use your help and I got to serve in a very limited capacity, very different than military or law enforcement. But I got to I got to go serve my country. I got to go assist my country, not by picking up a rifle, but by using the gray matter between my ears, by using my creativity. So that's pretty cool. Hey, I hate to interrupt this great conversation, but I just want to let you know, if you appreciate what's happening here at Manlyhood, we want you to help us. I want you to... Share this episode with a friend that you think would appreciate it. I want you to share it on social media. I'd love it if you could leave us a review 
and a rating on iTunes or Spotify. But whatever you do, let's get the word out. Maybe this is your first time listening. Subscribe to the podcast because we've got more stuff on the way. But also, if you want to connect to be a better man, go to the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook. And there's a group of men there that want to help you level up and be a better man. So head on over. You are welcome to be there. And right after this, we're going to hop back into our interview with Brad Thor. So here's Rising Tiger. This is my new book. comes out July 5th, Rising Tiger. Uh, Scott Harvath is a private intelligence operative. Uh, he works for a private agency in D.C. that um, kind of provides plausible deniability to the White House. Uh, they've been taking uh, some assignments uh, that the CIA has funneled their direction. And uh, there is a shadow diplomat that the United States has sent to India to try to get conversations moving forward for setting up an Asian version of NATO, except this American diplomat is killed. That happens right at the top of the book. And Scott Harvath is sent in to figure out what happened and uh, who's behind it, and then to uh, basically bring the people behind it to justice. So it's a fun book. It was really hard to write because I didn't know anything, or I should say I knew very little about India. In all my travels around the world, that's one place I had not been. So the learning curve was very steep on India, but uh, I've gotten such great feedback from the people who've read the book already. So Brad, I like to ask all my guests a couple of questions. And the first one is, what does it take to be a man? Wow, what does it take to be a man? You know, when I first heard that question from you, Josh, the the word that popped into my mind right away was humility. Uh, that is a that is a character trait that I think is in short supply. Uh, it's good to be confident. It's good to have self confidence, uh, but humility, the ability to be humble, uh, I think is. I went to Catholic school growing up, and the nun. Uh, who was in charge of our school used to say that uh, kindness can only be expected from the strong. And I, I, I do believe that that comes from having a well of humility. And throughout the entire COVID pandemic, one of the things I've been trying to teach my kids is to have grace, uh, to be humble and to leave space for other people who may be stressed, stressed out. Uh, everybody we meet is dealing with some sort of a challenge. It may be visible, this may be somebody who's got a disability or a child who has a disability, or it may be invisible. It may be they're having trouble with a spouse or at work or a health issue that isn't evident. So I, I think probably one of the most important ingredients to being a man is humility. I would agree with you there, man. I think that's, uh, and it, it doesn't seem like it's as common as it should be. Although maybe it is because usually the people that are humble are the ones that you don't hear screaming on the news, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And there's a lot more people that we don't hear screaming on the news. So maybe it is a, a more common trait than we think. Yeah, and the news self-selects for the people who scream the loudest. That's what gets people yeah. tuning in. So uh, I got asked recently, what what's one of the greatest national security concerns you have? What what are What's one of the biggest threats to America's national security? And I said, social media. I said, it is, uh, it is so damaging. People get on their Facebook pages. They are only hearing from people who think 
uh, just like them and talk just like them. And it is a prime position for foreign adversaries to creep in and poison us and deepen the culture wars. Because if you're on a Facebook page where you think everybody thinks like you, you start believing everything that gets put on that page. It's very dangerous to get your news and your opinions and your information from one narrow silo. It's very, very dangerous. So I have the humility to be willing to engage with ideas and people who you don't automatically agree with. How about that? Mm, definitely. Key to being a good man, being a good human being, being a good American. Definitely. I agree wholeheartedly. So my next question, Brad, is if you were to run into the 10-year-old version of Brad Thor, uh, what are you going to tell him? What do you want him to know? Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You were not perfect. Even people that you look up to at 10 who you think are perfect are not perfect. You've got a lot of runway. Keep making mistakes. Keep taking chances and learn from those mistakes. But don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't stop. Don't not pursue things you want to pursue because you're afraid of making mistakes. Be willing to make mistakes. Mistakes are uh, the building blocks of success in your life. I... uh agree with you there as well my friend i definitely <laughs> have made my share of mistakes so. we all have josh we all have gotcha yeah it and it takes something powerful to be able to learn from it you know yeah well the the mistakes are a gift for you uh if you can find the gift in the mistake then then it's worth it uh but in the, that there's the humility again don't be too tough on yourself mm-hmm. take it take what you can from it and, and move along i'm a big believer in stoicism yeah yeah, there's that's there's definitely a philosophy there that can change our life, especially in as a man. I think um, you know we need that we need that ability to think clearly and to not get bogged down by it all. So, uh, which kind of brings me to my next question, uh, mm-hmm. Brad. What is your best advice for the men that are listening today? Best advice. Uh, so we've talked about humility. We've talked about leaving room for grace. Um, I think, I think it's important to have a code. It can be a small code. It can be a big code, but something you live by, uh, and that can be, that can be spiritual. It can be your involvement in, in church. It can be a code that you have as far as, uh, service, military, law enforcement, whatever. Uh, I, I just use the word stoicism. I love the Stoic philosophers. And uh, Ryan Holiday, who's a great Mm -hmm. author, wrote this fabulous book called The Obstacle is the Way. So the thing that you're bumping up against, the thing that's giving you trouble is actually your guide to something better in life and a better you. So if you don't have a code, if you're not motivated by 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 church or service to the country i highly recommend picking up uh ryan holiday's book the obstacle is the way and then he did a almost like a it, he did something called the daily stoic where every single day of the year it's easy it's a half page it's this much text you can read a piece of stoic philosophy from uh marcus aurelius or whoever it might be and then there's an explanation in modern terms of what this meant and that, particularly through COVID and the craziness with, with election stuff and the, the culture war craziness, that has grounded me. And I'm 52, and I thought I was pretty well grounded. In these last couple of years, I realized, okay, it's not permanent. You, you have to constantly come back and fine tune. You, you, you don't get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm as developed and as good as I'm going to get. 
it's constantly pushing yourself, constantly fine tuning, stretching for more. I think that keeps you young. It keeps you alive. But that code, having that code as a man, something that uh, philosophically you understand that helps you uh, take in information and guides your actions, I think is is critical to being to being a good man. Let's put that on there. If you want to be a good man, it's important to have a code. And like I said, I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday. The obstacle is the way. Fabulous, fabulous book. But I particularly like the the Daily Stoic to have a meditation in the morning. And meditation is what they're called. But it's, you read half a page of text, and that's it. It just gets you thinking about your life and the things that uh, that we all have to deal with. Those surprises that get thrown at us. Because basically, the things that happen to us, they only have as much power as we give them. So it's all about how you interpret what's happening. We have very little control. Uh, you didn't lose your mind because the Wi-Fi was going down. I didn't lose my mind. It is what it is. And that's basically the essence of stoicism is it is what it is. It's how you interpret the events in your life. Yeah, I think that that is the, uh, a philosophy that has, has definitely shaped my life in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I would consider myself, uh, uh, evangelical Christian. And, you know, I love the fact that that doesn't, even though that the, many of the Stoic philosophers were not, uh, the early church actually adopted many of those Stoic philosophies because it was very compatible with, mm -hmm. with our, with faith. And, and I think yes. that's a pretty, pretty cool thing that it, that it kind of transcends that rather than con contradicts it. I, I would agree a hundred percent, hundred percent. So Brad, your book is coming out probably right about the same time this interview airs. So uh, let's, let's uh, remind our listeners where they can get uh, rising tiger. So rising tiger, you can, you can get it anywhere. What's the old line? Anywhere fine books are sold, Josh. Uh, the, the best way to, to, to find the book is if you come to Brad Thor, B-R-A-D-T-H-O-R.com. I've got links to all, uh, all the retailers, whether it's a Barnes and Noble, whether it's, uh, uh, IndieBound, which will connect you with an independent bookstore if you want to help small businesses, yeah. whether you want to buy it from Amazon. I get tons of links at bradthor.com and then links to all my social media accounts. Uh, I like to have fun. I like conversations like this. And so, you know, my, my social media is about uh, a lot of the things we've talked about today. So I like to have just keep conversations going with readers, not just here's my book. Let's talk about just my book. Uh, I, I take my role as a steward. Uh, of the Republic very seriously. And I also have a sense of humor. So I like to put up stuff that makes me laugh and all that stuff. So bradthor.com is the best way to find out more about Rising Tiger. I've got an excerpt there. Uh, and uh, I'll, I often put up stuff behind the scenes about like today we're celebrating and not celebrating, but we're recognizing that anniversary you and I talked about that two years ago today, mm -hmm. that horrible attack where the Chinese snuck over the Himalayas into India, that real life thing that gave me the the seed for my my fictional thriller uh we're talking about that all that kind of stuff so there you go yeah awesome so your social media is definitely a do you do you interact a lot with your with your fans that get on there and, and ask questions and, and and talk to you absolutely i found that i prefer facebook uh people seem to be a little bit better behaved on facebook than on twitter <laughs> uh I, I don't encounter the random you know bots and all that junk that that, that i mean twitter is like an open sewer as bill o'reilly used to call the entire internet but i i'm not a huge fan of twitter anymore just because it it, it really encouraged some vile vile behavior but i like facebook 
and I love the the people that I interact with on Facebook. So I'm on Facebook multiple times a day. Nobody does it for me. Facebook and Instagram, I do it. So I'm there. I'm answering people's questions, having conversations and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Have you found in that, do you still get challenged and called out or is it pretty, are people pretty sane, do you think, in those interactions there with you? Yeah, you know what? People have opinions. Uh, so I find that there are certain there are certain buckets that if I dip my toe in there, it's not a good bucket because you're not <laughs> going to change minds. And, right. uh, and, you know, my goal here, I like getting conversations going. Uh, but sometimes uh, you you develop a kind of a sixth sense for what's going to work for for your your family of readers. At the end of the day, Josh, the people who buy my books, I don't work for the publisher. I work for the readers. Mm-hmm. They are ultimately my employers, and I, I, I I'm not going to say stuff that ticks off my employers. And it's not my job to challenge them and challenge their belief system. But if I find an interesting article that I think is worth uh, discussing, or like I said, something that cracks me up. I put that stuff out there because at the end of the day, I think there's more things that unite us than divide us. So yes. I'm focused on the things that unite us. And that's, that's, that's my sweet spot. I like to talk about that stuff. Even if some of that stuff may be difficult, I still like to get into that space where, you know, we're husbands, we're fathers, we're mothers and sisters and daughters and brothers. There are, there are things that go beyond red and blue and tribalism. And that's, that's the space I'm interested in occupying because that's where we can come together as fellow human beings and, uh, and share some neat stories and, and things like that. I think we used to do that better. I, we used to say no religion, no sex, no politics. That used to be the big three <laughs> that you could not discuss. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. We used to do it better. Yeah, I think I, I don't know why, man. I, I think there's definitely a, a breakdown in, and in, in, you know, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, online, people could hide behind usernames and they would say some pretty mean things, you know, mm-hmm. and now everybody has their real name. And you would think that that would add a little bit of, you know, shame. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's only gotten worse. (laughs) It it does. We go, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading about American history. We go in cycles. It's Mm. interesting. And we have, you know, things that were happening with McCarthyism and and all of the assassinations that that occurred into the 60s and and, in in rough things. We, We go like this. And I always tell people that our best days are still ahead of us. They are not behind us. And while we go through these troubles, it's important to remember how if you could choose uh, any time in history, in any place to be born, you would want to take this moment right now, even with COVID, even with all the craziness and the tribalism, there is no better place to be at any point in history than to be where we are in this country right now. We're incredibly blessed. So that's, I always try to keep that top of mind. And, uh, you know, people are, Abraham Lincoln said, people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And mm. I believe that. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Brad, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me on the Mainland Mancast, and I hope our guests go and check out your work, man. Thank you. It's great being with you. Thanks a lot, Josh. Brad Thor, it was an honor to have you on the podcast, friend. Thanks for being patient with our connectivity issues that we had. Uh, You may not have noticed it if you're listening to the episode, but we definitely had some issues, and Brad was very patient and kind as we worked those out so that we could continue to bring you that excellent conversation. But let me tell you something. Uh, 
Brad is doing amazing work telling stories and inspiring people, and we really appreciate and salute you. So thank you, Brad Thor. Make sure you head over to his website, grab the new book, Rising Tiger. And again, if you appreciate what we're doing here at Mainlyhood, please like, comment, subscribe, share, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Tell your friends about this, because I know that if you want to be a better man, you're not going to be able to do it alone. We have to do it together. And so if this is a part of your journey, that means that there's another man out there that it needs to be a part of his journey too. So let's share it up, guys. Let's tell our friends about this. Anyway, I love you. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.